Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. It is not so far-fetched to the rational mind to think that the money should go with the student. That's a pretty rational point of view. That if here you are, right, you're a parent or, or, or a taxpayer, and we already say in every state that uh, if the kid goes to school, it's a certain amount of money that goes to the school because you've got a kid in the school. Well, why do we think that that should somehow be limited based on where the kid goes to school. You mean if the kid is going to the public school, if the kid's going there, well then they they get all the they get all the money, but if they if they were to choose the school of their choice or of their parents' choice, all of a sudden the amount of money they should get is somehow different, then it's wrong, then it's evil, then it's just then it, what? So we're not saying that the money should go with the student. We're saying the money should go with the system. But isn't it the system that's, well, for lack of a better word, doing us dirty? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Corey DeAngelis joins us right now, PhD and National Director of Research for the American Federation of Children. You've also seen his work over at Forbes and over at Cato. His book, School Choice Myths, Setting the Record Straight on Education Freedom, that came out uh, in, the, in the height of COVID. But you got to go check it out for yourself. It's available at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. School Choice Myths, Setting the Record Straight on Education Freedom. Corey, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Now, this all started with a tweet that you sent out about Arizona and what they're doing. But let's start with a basic. We take money, our money, uh, property tax money, taxpayer money, and we say let's educate kids with it. And what has happened is uh, unions and others have said, let's make ourselves money with it. And education seems to be a second place topic. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think your opening was totally right. I mean, just imagine if we forced low income families to spend their food stamp dollars at a residentially assigned government run grocery store. That wouldn't make any sense with food stamps. The funding follows the decision of the individual or the family. And the same concept applies with higher education, with Pell Grants. Just imagine if we told students that they have to use their Pell Grants at a residentially assigned government-run provider of higher education, or if we did that with pre-K programs. Instead, with all these other programs, with Pell Grants, the GI Bill for Veterans, with pre-K programs, including the Federal Head Start program, the money follows the decision of the family, and you can take it to a private provider, a religious or non-religious provider, the money follows the decision of the individual person. The same thing with uh, Medicaid programs. You can take your Medicaid voucher essentially to a private uh, hospital. It doesn't have to be a residentially assigned government-run hospital. You can even take it to a religiously affiliated hospital. So uh, all I'm arguing with school choice is that we apply the same logic to K-12 education and fund people, not buildings. But the problem is you have this 
uh, entrenched special interests, the teachers unions, who fight as hard as possible against any change to the status quo. They want to get your money regardless of how well they do, so regardless of the satisfaction of the families. And from what we've seen in a lot of states over the past couple of years, regardless of whether they even open their doors for business. And I think that's fueled the fire for so many families pushing for school choice. In 2021, we're deeming it the year of school choice because 19 states enacted or expanded programs to fund students as opposed to So let's break this down a little bit, Corey. Let's break this down just a little bit more because this is a subject that I do talk about, that it is very obvious that education, as it is discussed, is about the union and not about the student. But there is a difference between how the union acts and people who have good teachers for their kids. I am a person who sees unions as a problem. But I can tell you that the teachers who I have interacted with, what I'm seeing in the relationship with my children, I like very, very much. That is different than what we see from the unions. And this sometimes happens. Some people, they have very bad teachers. I've had very bad teachers in my life as well. Describe to me how the union is responding and reacting to this very logical idea, as I see it, your conversation of the dollar should go with the student. Yeah, the unions don't really represent the teachers all that well. They're actually making them look bad over the past couple of years, pushing for political nonsense that doesn't have anything to do with uh, safely reopening schools over the past couple of years or uh, don't reflect the values of the teachers. So, yeah, there's a difference between union bosses like Randy Weingarten, who make over $560,000 a year, and the individual teachers on the ground doing, doing great things for students. And they haven't really done a good job when it comes to the union bosses pushing for policies that actually benefit individual teachers. I mean, just think about spending patterns in U.S. education in the government-run schools over time. For example, in a report by Ben Scafidi from Kennesaw State University, he pointed out that between 1992 and 2014, per-pupil education expenditures actually increased by about 27% after adjusting for inflation, but teacher salaries in real terms actually dropped by 2%. So when teachers you know, complain about having to pay out of pocket for supplies each year, I do feel kind of bad for them, but the problem isn't with their competition, the private and charter schools of choice. The problem is with their employer, which happens to be a massive geographic monopoly that doesn't have any particularly strong incentives to cater to the needs of customers or even cater to the needs of the individual employees in the system. Monopolies are bad for customers. Monopsonies in the labor market are bad for employees. So there's actually five studies I've seen on the topic that I've discussed at the Washington Examiner in a post called School Choice Benefits Teachers 2 finding that statistically significant effects in all five of these studies, that private and charter school competition actually leads to higher teacher salaries in the public schools too. So school choice can be a win-win solution for the families and customers, but also the employees. Talking to Corey DeAngelis, the book School Choice Myths, Setting the Record Straight on Education Freedom. Now let's take it over to Arizona because I saw the, the tweet from you. I follow things uh, that, that, you're, that you're doing. And Arizona has made this decision that they're going to fund students, not uh, the, the, the systems. Talk to me about what Arizona has decided to do, what other states are looking into this, and how can people get their states to look into it? So like I pointed out earlier, in, 2019, in 2021, 19 states enacted or expanded programs to fund students as opposed to systems. And the number of states with the gold standard of school choice, which are, which are commonly referred to as education savings accounts, 
the money that would have followed you to the government school, you could take it to any approved education provider. That could be another public school. It could be a private school. It could be a micro school. Any approved education expenditure, uh, even including private tutoring. Uh, the biggest victory last year was actually in West Virginia. Uh, every family, regardless of income, would it be able to take their kids' state-funded education dollars to wherever they get an education. So that's a, that was a huge victory in Virginia. In Arizona, this uh, just – I guess a couple of weeks ago now, or, or maybe it was this past week, their Senate actually passed an expansion of their education ex- savings account program, which would over triple the amount of fa- families eligible for that program from about 27, 20% of the population to 70 or 80% of the population, which but it would be a huge expansion of school choice and education freedom in Arizona. It still has to pass through the House. And I will say, Last year, although it did a similar bill did pass through the Senate last year, the House uh, had a, a a couple of Republicans in particular that voted against the party platform issue of school choice and joined all the Democrats in blocking what would have been the largest expansion of education freedom in Arizona last year. So that that still could happen this year. It still could get blocked, or um, uh, hopefully. The Republicans all vote together on a party platform issue to fund students as opposed to systems. And by the way, it shouldn't be a partisan issue at all. But the problem is the teachers unions disproportionately donate to the Democratic Party. And although the majority of Democratic constituents on the ground, regardless of part of party, constituents support the funding following the child. It only comes to the state houses where you see the Democrats uh, disproportionately more likely to vote against school choice measures. And it's not about logic. It's about power. And it's about the teachers unions. And that's that's a, a big problem. But we'll, we'll, we're still watching this bill in Arizona. And you, we, and we you know the governor's up, fully on board, Doug Ducey. Right. Uh, Governor Ducey on, on board. You, you brought up earlier the idea of of COVID and what COVID has done to kind of opening eyes. And, and this has been a, a unique I, I'm I'm loath to use the term silver lining when it comes to COVID, but when you follow it, people finally got to see what their kids are being taught and how their kids are being taught. And many of them said, wait, this isn't what I bought into. I've made the argument numerous times that what has happened and what is happening across the country is not just yeah. anger. It is it is parents are embarrassed that they gave their kids over. They thought the system was doing them right. And now they have seen without question that the system has done them very, very very wrong. As you're talking to parents, what is it that they're saying to you uh, about school choice uh, concepts and what is it that they're choosing? Yeah, look, COVID didn't break the government school system. It was already broken. And the past two years have simply shined a spotlight on the main problem with K-12 education all across the country, which happens to be a massive, long-existing power imbalance between the teachers union monopoly and individual families. And there's a couple of reasons why this kind of silver lining emerged. One was families were scrambling trying to find alternatives when the government schools were closed, the private schools were open, and the government school buildings got to keep their kids' education dollars while they were trying to pay out of pocket for private schools, tuition and fees, and and the expenses that were associated with homeschooling. I mean, if there, if your grocery store closes down, it's 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 inconvenient, but it's not devastating because at least you can take your money to another grocery store, Trader Joe's or Safeway, if your Walmart closes down. But when the government schools were closing, the money stayed in the buildings that were closed. It just didn't make any sense. 
And I think that became more clear to so many people that there's no good reason to fund failing closed institutions when you can fund the student directly instead. But the other part that you pointed out is also that the remote learning, even though it hurts so many people, so many kids, mentally, academically, physically, the, the, the unintended benefit was that there was a higher level of transparency and families who thought that their kids were in great public schools, whether they were A-rated public schools or whether the kid had good grades on their report cards or they had high standardized test scores, they started to see another dimension of school quality, which is arguably more important, and it has to do with values-based education. Parents don't want to send their kid to a school for 13 years where they, where they feel like their child is being indoctrinated without exit options. So school choice is an obvious solution to the problem of your school not teaching the curriculum that is aligned with your values. And that could go both ways. If your school uh, is teaching too much uh, social justice type, type of curriculum, you might want to take your kid to a private school that doesn't have that. Or if you're in a school that has a curriculum uh, going in the other direction, you should be able to take your kids' education dollars to a private school uh, with the curriculum that aligns with your values. One of the I think things the problem that's... that so many people saw is this one-size-fits-all disaster that, by definition, isn't going to work for everybody. Just, just as an aside, one of the things that I, I do uh, catch as a, a theme from, from the school choice people, and I'm definitely a school choice guy, is that they don't get into the argument of what the school is teaching. They get into yeah. the argument of you should be able to send your kid where you want. So even when you're like, if you see a school doing this or if you see a school doing that, you don't get into the conversation of they shouldn't do this or that. You get into the idea of you, the parent, should be able to decide if you want your kid to be exposed to that or not. That's right. And the same the same applies to the masking mandates and everything. I, I think family should choose for every single kid if you want to send your kid to schools or not with masks. But at the same time, I understand that families differ in their uh, risk tolerance levels and they just people have different values and preferences. And that's OK. And the only way out of this disaster with freedom rather than force is to allow the money to follow the child. That's the only way we get to a situation where you're not inflicting your values on other people's kids. I don't think anybody should want to do that. And the only way to fix all these problems, whether it comes to COVID or whether it comes to curriculum or whether it comes to just what the mission of the school might be, what they what you want to focus on throughout the day or uh, what type of extracurriculars you want might want to have. People are going to disagree about all those things and it's okay. Uh, but the, the problem arises when we force when we force people into a situation that doesn't align with their values. Corey DeAngelis, National Director of Research, American Federation for Children. The book, School Choice Myths, Setting the Record Straight on Education Freedom. You can find that at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. Corey, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz.